We're in Exodus chapter number three tonight. The book of Exodus chapter number three is where we'll be. And I want to just read two verses here as we get started. And last Sunday night, of course, if you were here, we, uh, we talked about our theme. And our theme this year is uh, more than enough. And uh, I, I have to tell you that in order for us to really grasp what, uh, what that means and, and how that really plays a, a part in our lives, we have to come to the acknowledgement and the understanding that we are not enough. Now, that's really what this whole thing is about. So with the Lord's help, over the next few Sunday nights, I want to I preach to you a, a series I, I'm entitling, Men Who Were Not Enough. Men Who Were Not Enough. And the reality is, that's all of us. <laughs> uh, but we get to see that played out in their lives, their discovery, their understanding that they were not enough. And then what we get to watch is we get to watch the grace of God and the perfect strength of God come through in their weakness to raise them to the level in which God is able to use them. And of course, we begin tonight looking at the life of Moses. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 10, Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Here's where Moses, I believe, came to this understanding. He came to this conclusion, I'm not enough. And Moses said unto God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? The second chapter of Exodus, the Bible chronicles for us the children of Israel groaning and crying because of the difficulty that they discovered in their bondage as slaves in the land of Egypt. They had been in Egypt now for 400 years, and, and each new king in Egypt removed them further and further from the time and the memory of Joseph, the, the reason why they were there to begin with. The Israelites entered Egypt as the family of one of Egypt's great rulers and great leaders, but 400 years later, they are now viewed suspiciously as a threat to Egypt's sovereignty. At any moment, the Egyptians feared that this group of people would rise up and rebel and revolt and cause significant problems for the Egyptian people and their government. You're in Exodus chapter 3. Go back to Exodus chapter number 1 very quickly and look with me if you would in verse number 8 where we find this discussion, this, this um, thinking being played out. The Bible says in verse number 8, Now there arose up a king, a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. So the Egyptians had this real concern about this group of people that they perceived to be more and mightier than even they were. And so they countered these concerns. They addressed these concerns, the Bible says, by making life very, very difficult and burdensome for the Israelites. Look with me in verse number 11. Here's what they did. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. Look in verse number 13. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. That means they, uh, they served with uh, cruelty. It was a very difficult life, verse 14. And they made their lives bitter 
with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field. All their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. It was a difficult life. It was really, really challenging. These bitter conditions, these rigorous conditions, wearied the children of Israel and led them to cry out to God for help and for deliverance. So here's what's happening. Here's the context. There's a nation of people. They're God's people. And they've been in this land for 400 years. And in that 400 years, things have progressively gotten worse and worse and more and more difficult. And they cry out to God. They cry. They groan. They sigh. And now God is going to step in. And God is going to deliver them. Here's what I find interesting. I find it interesting that the Lord uses, uses people to accomplish his purposes. You know, I, I got to thinking as I come to the end of chapter 2 and begin chapter number 3, you know, that our God is powerful enough and strong enough that if he wanted to, he could have delivered the nation of Israel in a moment. He could have provided a pathway for them out of Egypt, marching right into the promised land, victorious. There would have been nothing. There would have been absolutely nothing that the nation of Egypt could have done to stop it. That's how powerful our God is. That's not how he works. No, he, he uses people to accomplish his purposes. He chose a flawed man. <laughs> and as I was preparing this message, I thought, he, he chose a flawed man because there's no other kind. <laughs> right? I mean, there's, 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 there's no such thing as anything but a flawed man. That's all there is. The only one who wasn't flawed was Jesus Christ. He's the only one who ever lived here on this earth that had no flaws, that had no sin and no wickedness in his life. And so he chose a flawed man because there's no other kind. And he, uh, and he, and he used this man to accomplish this task of leading his people to freedom from Egyptian bondage. Now, just as Paul revealed his thorn in the flesh is a hindrance in his life to us. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 12, we're going to discover that Moses also had some areas of weakness and vulnerability in his life as well. Because there's no other kind of man. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Moses has some thorns in the flesh. And I'm here to tell you tonight, each of us have some thorns in the flesh as well. Each of us have some flaws. Each of us have some things that if we could change about ourselves, perhaps we would. But just as God's grace would be sufficient and his strength would be made perfect in Paul's weakness, so God's grace would also be sufficient and his strength made perfect in Moses' weaknesses too. But listen, God won't just use any man. He uses men, listen, he uses men who are not enough in their own sight. And by the way, they're not considered to be enough in the sight of others as well. Moses had a lot of advantages over ad average people in that he was raised in the home of Pharaoh's daughter. He was surrounded by the riches and treasures of Egypt. Moses was blessed with the best education imaginable, and he developed even a great reputation in Egypt. Go with me, if you would, to Acts chapter number 7. I, I find it interesting that Stephen preaches a message, and the truth of the matter is that Stephen gives us insight into Moses' life that we don't even get from Moses himself. The Bible says in Acts chapter number 7, in verse number 21, speaking of Moses, and when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up 
nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Notice the next phrase. And was mighty in words and in deeds. I just have to think that this, this synopsis, this, this statement made about Moses by Stephen as he, is, as he is emerging from the palace as a young man, that in, in Moses' mind, he's coming out of the palace. We're going to find, we're going to find that God had put it in his heart to deliver the nation of Egypt. But listen, the time is not right. Why is the time not right? Because Moses, in his own mind, perhaps in the minds of others, is considered enough to get the job done. He's, he's learned. He's mighty in, in word and indeed in the nation of Egypt. He has a reputation. He's sharp. He's impressive. He is someone that everybody would want to follow. He, he, is, he is perhaps maybe in his own mind, he's thinking, I'm enough to get the job done. Look, look at the training I have. Look at the background I have. Look at the skills that I have. And perhaps others were looking at him saying, yeah, if anybody could deliver that group of people, it's him. The future was bright. God could have elevated him to a position of Pharaoh and delivered his people that way. But listen, God's strength is not compatible with man's strength. If Moses delivered the people from the position of Pharaoh, he would have been the hero of the story. And I just want you to know something. There are no heroes in the Bible but God. Because every man and every woman who rose up and did a great work, the only way that they were able to do that great work is the grace of God that worked through them. So you see, there, there's, there's no heroes. Sometimes we use that terminology, and I don't, I'm not going to criticize you if you use it. I just want you to know something. There's no hero. There's no hero but God. He is the, he's the one that gives the strength, that gives the grace, that gives the ability to do what is needed to be done. If Moses is the hero of the story, well, then Moses receives all the glory, doesn't he? Moses ventures out of the palace one day. Perhaps he's full of himself. Perhaps other people are looking at him saying, if anybody could do it, it's him. If anybody's enough to get the job done, to deliver this group of people, it's him. The Bible says that from Stephen's message, it is clear. It is clear that Moses bore the, the sense of the weight of responsibility. I am the deliverer that God had put it in his heart to do it. Look with me in Acts 7, verse number 23. And when he was full 40, 40 years old, Notice this next phrase, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, children of Israel. Where did, where did that come from? Where did that sense of, of, of go, go, go see your people? That, that, the Bible says that came into his heart. How do you suppose it came into his heart? I think God put it there. I think God was beginning to reveal to Moses, I've chosen you. The timing is not right, but I've chosen you. At the very least, go visit them. Go look upon them. Go see their affliction. Because as the prophet Jeremiah said, as he surveyed the destroyed ruins of the city of Jerusalem, he said, mine eye affecteth mine heart. God put it into Moses' heart to go and to see. Moses wasn't ready to be a deliverer yet. Because at this point in time, Moses Moses is functioning in his own power, in his own strength. 
Moses in his own mind perceives that he is enough. Verse 24, and seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Notice the next verse, for he supposed, he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. You get the sense that as Moses comes out of the palace and he makes his way to where the nation of Israel is living, the Israelites are living, he sees this injustice being done and, and, he, and he avenges and he delivers him that is oppressed and he slays a man, he kills a man. And then he looks around and he's, he's looking for some praise, he's looking for some, you know, some validation because you know, in his mind he's thinking, well, surely you guys know that I'm the deliverer. Surely you know, and look what I've done. This is, ju- this is just the beginning of what I'm able to do. And at this point in time, Moses is sort of looking at himself. and He's saying, I'm enough. God's put this in my heart. I'm the natural leader here. I mean, I was, I was born a Hebrew, but because of very unusual circumstances, God allowed me to be raised in the palace to get the education and the and the and the uh, uh, you know the leadership training and to and and to, and to be able to have relationships with those that are high in authority, all of these things are swirling through Moses' mind. He defends an Israelite who's being oppressed by smiting the oppressor. It seems like Moses is pretty strong physically, doesn't it? And we couple that with the fact that he's probably strong intellectually. He's mighty, the Bible says, in word and deed. He's been educated by the best that Egypt has to offer. So he's likely strong intellectually. He's probably strong financially. I mean, all of these things are measuring up for us to look at him and to say, this guy's got it. This guy's going to get the job done. And yet, listen, God was not going to share his glory with Moses' physical strength or intellectual abilities. So Moses fled Egypt. Everything kind of got turned upside down. This deliverance that he thought this was just the beginning actually was just the end. The Bible says that he fled for fear. He found found himself the next 40 years in the land of Midian. Here's, Here's what I think God was doing. Listen, It took God 40 years to rub out all the Egyptian power and all of the Egyptian culture and all of the Egyptian might and all of the Egyptian learning to get all of that out of him. It took God 40 years to scrub him clean of all of those things. He left there thinking to himself, I'm more than enough. I'm enough to get the job done. And listen, by the time we come to Exodus chapter number three, he's come to the conclusion Who am I? You know know what he's done? He's come to the conclusion. He says, I'm not enough. I thought I was. I, I thought that if anybody could do it, I could do it. And he'd come to the realization that he was not enough. He spent those years, 40 years, as a shepherd herding sheep. Perhaps maybe he viewed this time as a waste. But listen, it'd be a it would prove to be a very fruitful time in his life. The Bible tells us that God gave him a wife and two sons during this season of life. Acts 7, 29, then fled Moses at this saying and was a stranger in the land of Madian where he begat two sons. Now as we take 
our Bibles and we go back to Exodus chapter number 3, we discover that Moses is nearing the end of his 40-year period there in Midian. He probably was content, no doubt, to live out the rest of his life in obscurity as a shepherd. I mean, at this point in time, he's settled into life in Midian. He's probably long forgotten about this, this burden that God had put in his life and his heart, this calling that God had placed upon him. But listen, God had other plans. God could use a man who had spent 40 years alone in a desert herding sheep. Listen, God could use a man like that more easily than he could or would use a man fresh out of the palace and fresh out of the hallowed halls of learning in Egypt who was confident in himself and his own abilities. Let that sink in for just a minute. Why? Why is God more capable of using a man who spent 40 years all alone in a desert place herding sheep? Why is God more capable? Why is God more interested in using a man like that than he is in using a man who's, who's fresh out of the halls of learning and out of the palaces? Here's, here, here's why. Because his, his, his grace is sufficient and his strength is perfected in the lives of those who view themselves as not enough and who the world views as not enough. When we are strong, when we are strong, God's strength is small. But when I am weak, God's strength is more than enough. Our text gives us some clues as to why God chose Moses and what he is looking for in a man that he will use. From our perspective, God is looking, here's what we think, God's looking for sharp people. Sometimes, honestly, sometimes if we're not careful, somebody will walk into this church and they'll be sharp and we'll think, great church member prospect. Let's, let's, let's run to them and let's meet them and let's shower them with love and let's get to know them. In our minds, subconsciously, it's just how we operate. We're, we're, we're drawn, we're attracted to sharp people. We're attracted to educated people. You know, people that know how to put a sentence together. People that know how to read. People that know how to, you know, how to, how to, how to conduct themselves in a, in a, in a sharp way. We're, we're drawn to energetic people, to charismatic people. We're, we're drawn to physically imposing men. But listen, don't you understand something? God, God doesn't need that kind of stuff. In fact, in fact, I think we have, we have a record here in which God actually chopped some of that out of Moses' life. Before, before he would bring him to a point where, okay, now I can use you. I had, to, I had to get some of that sharpness out of you. I had to get some of that impressiveness out of you. I had to get some of that education out of you. I had to get you to a point where you looked at yourself and you said to yourself as you looked in the mirror, my word, who am I? I'm not enough. See, see if, you, if you stand in that mirror and you look at it and you say, who, who am I? Look at this. God, God can't do anything with that. But if you look in that mirror, by the way, the, the mirror is the word of God, and you look in that mirror and you think, who am I? Who am I that God would want to have anything to do with me? See, that, that's the difference. Moses went from looking in the mirror and saying, look at this, deliverer. I mean, deliverer is written all over me. I, I am, I'm the man. I'm enough. And by the way, I think, I think others looked at him and said the same thing. 
And Moses had to go, had to go from that and it took him 40 years to go from that to Exodus chapter number three when God appears to him again. And he says, who am I? I want you to know that God is not looking for sharp people. He's not looking for educated people. He's not looking for energetic people, charismatic people, physically imposing people. No, I, I, think, we find, I think we find who the, the people are that God is looking for in our text. And I want to share them with you. Three things I think that God is looking for if he's going to use a man. Number one, God uses men, first of all, who are available. God uses men who are available. Would you look in Exodus chapter 3, verse number 4? And when the Lord saw that he, speaking of Moses, turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And God came to Moses in a flame of fire. In the midst of a bush, the Bible says that the bush was not consumed in verse number two. This sight was extremely intriguing to Moses, as it would be probably to all of us, because fire consumes bushes every time. For some reason or other, this bush was not consumed. And as Moses turned aside to see why this bush wasn't burning up, he heard a voice calling out to him. The voice was God's, and he called out his name twice. His reply, listen, his reply is one that God delights in. It is this, here am I. Do you see that in verse number four? Here am I. You know what that says? That says availability. Here am I. It'd be a wonderful thing if everyone in this church would fall on their face before God and say as Moses did, Lord, here am I. God is looking for men and women who are available to him. I want you to know something. God still uses volunteers. As I consider the life of Moses, I'm captivated by a couple of things that, that, that kept him in a position of being available for God to use. There are some who might, uh, whom God might have used. God perhaps had plans for them, but they took themselves out of the picture through choices and decisions that they made. And as a result, they, God had to set them aside. They were no longer available for this particular task or for this particular purpose. doesn't mean that God couldn't use them at all. It just means God couldn't use them to do that. If you'll be available for God's use, you you, I believe you should consider these things that we find in the life of Moses. Number one, I want to say this, that God used Moses. He was available, first of all, because he was pure. Moses was pure. Moses had gone to Midian, and what had he done there? He had married one woman. He'd had two sons, and the entire time that he lived, those 40 years, he lived a clean and pure life. I believe that his life of purity kept him, kept him available for the Lord's purposes for him. You understand, there probably were some temptations in Midian. There probably were some things that could have gotten Moses off of track. There probably were some things that maybe the devil placed in Moses' path because, because perhaps maybe the devil sensed that God had a plan for Moses' life. And, and perhaps maybe the devil threw some temptations in front of Moses. And yet, for whatever reason, Moses continued to do the right thing. We don't know a lot about, we don't really know a lot about what happened in these 40 years, but we do know this. We do know that he did not destroy his life by doing things that were impure and ungodly during this period and during this season. And that makes a difference. Had Moses fled Egypt, 
given himself to worldly pleasures and excesses and defiled himself. Listen, Moses would not have been a candidate for this calling. God would have had to show up in somebody else's life in a, in a, in a, in a different place in a, to a different pers- purpose, person, I should say. And what I want to say is this. Keep yourself available to the Lord by keeping your life pure. Maybe a young person sitting here tonight say, I have no idea what God wants for me. And that's fine. You don't need to be in a hurry for that. But here's, here's what I would say. I would say this, keep your life pure so that if God wants you for a specific purpose, then you're available to him. You haven't, you haven't destroyed your life to a point where God can no longer use you in that particular way and in that particular... And by the way, that's, that's good counsel for everyone. Just keep yourself pure. Do the right thing. Keep yourself unspotted from the world by God's grace and by his spirit's power. God uses men who are available. I think to myself, you know, had Moses gone out and done some things that perhaps were available to him during that 40-year period, I wonder, I wonder if God chooses not to show up in that burning bush, in that mountain that day. Moses was pure, but notice, secondly, we find that Moses was stirred. Moses was stirred. As he led his flock, he encountered this great sight, and that is a bush on fire but not burnt. And he purposed to turn aside to see this unusual thing which opened the door for God to call out to him and to do a greater work in his life than, than even the work that was being done in the bush. The bush was impressive, no doubt about it, but God was going to do a much greater work in Moses' life than even what was happening in that bush there that day. This turning aside required Moses to leave what he was doing so that he might behold what it was that God was doing. I'm often amazed at how common it is for the people of God to be unmoved and to be unstirred when God sets something on fire. You ever notice that? I mean, something could be burning. The blaze is intense. The fire is is powerful. And yet so many of God's people are completely unmoved and unstirred by it. Have no time for that whatsoever. Look, there's a, there's a bush on fire over there, but it's not consumed. Look, something's happening over there. And it's if we have blinders on our eyes and we cannot for a single second turn aside from what it is that we're doing, from our agenda, from our plan, from, from our, for our ideas of what we think is important in life, to stop for just a moment and to turn aside and to see something that's on fire. I'm, 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 just, I'm just saying, listen, God, God could send revival. God could send a revival to, to American Christianity and, and two-thirds of American Christianity wouldn't even see it, wouldn't even notice it. And if they did, they wouldn't even care because we have so, we have so created and crafted what we think Christianity ought to be. I think to myself, what's impressive to me about Moses is that he's, he's still stirred when he sees God doing something impressive. I think, that a, I think to myself that a preacher could stand before a congregation and preach with the power of God. Sometimes people remain utterly unstirred. Someone else could stand, as we heard a moment ago, and sing a powerful song, 
And folks will yawn. When's this going to be done? Someone else could stand and give a powerful testimony. People will glance at their watch to see what time it is. The preacher will extend the invitation another verse or two because people are responding and people will get annoyed. They'll begin to pack their stuff up. And some will even, some will even cut. And I know there, there are times in which perhaps you do have to cut out. There, there are times in which that happens. But, but, but let me ask you something. Don't you, want to, don't you want to stick around and see what God does? What if God sets something on fire in this invitation? What if God sets something on fire in a church service and you were, you were too busy doing something that you thought was more important to be there to see, to see the fire burn, to see God set a bush on fire and yet that bush is not consumed? What if Moses that day would have looked at that and thought, wow, that's interesting. Hmm, I don't see that too often. Come on, sheep, let's go. There's got to be some greener grass somewhere. There's got to be some more water somewhere. But no, no, that's not what he did. The Bible says that he turned aside, that he was stirred. And this stirring, this turning aside made him, listen, made him a prime candidate for God to call out to him. Because listen, listen, had Moses kept moving that day, he would have never heard, he would have never heard God cry out to him, Moses, Moses. It's the stirring that did it. It was because he saw something that was on fire. He saw God doing something unusual. Moses had the ability to acknowledge as he looked upon that bush that God was doing an unusual thing. Listen, this this church is far from perfect. Far from it. I I want you to know something. I believe with all my heart God's doing some unusual things here. I believe that. I've, I've, I've met enough people that have come here who've been perhaps other places and they've, 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 they've said things like this to me. It's not like this everywhere. And we, we miss it sometimes because this is all that a lot of us have ever known. But I, and, 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 by, and, and, and again, I, I preface this, I'll say it again. It's not a perfect place, but God is doing some things here. And I've traveled enough, and I've been in places enough to know that what God does here and what we have here is, 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 is different than perhaps it is in other places. And yet, and yet sometimes we just grow accustomed to it. Where will, where will the men and the women be who will say, wait a minute, no, no, it's, it's not like this everywhere. This is special. What God is doing here is special and it's unique. Moses had the ability to acknowledge that God was doing an unusual thing and he turned aside from what he was doing to see what it was that God was doing. God says, I can use a man like that because he's available. He's available. Number two, God uses men who are humble. Now go with me to where we read a moment ago. In verse four, Moses says, here am I. I like what he says in verse number 11. Who am I? You know what that is? That's humility. It's humility. As God reveals why he's calling Moses and what he wants Moses to do, Moses responds humbly by asking, who am I? Listen, God uses, God uses 
the humble and the lowly. At the same time, God resists the proud and the arrogant. Moses viewed himself as unworthy and incapable of accomplishing the task that God was calling him to do. Listen, 40 years prior, he viewed himself as quite worthy and quite capable. Stephen tells us that in his message, Acts 7.25, for he supposed, he assumed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver, how God by his hand, by the hand of Moses, would deliver them. Now we come to Exodus chapter 3. Moses is saying, who am I? In, 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 in Stephen's message, 40 years prior, Moses is operating saying, listen, listen, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna see what I'm going to do. They're going to see me, and they're going to understand that this is how it's going to be. And now Moses, in Exodus chapter number 3, Moses is now saying, Lord, they're not going to believe me. I'm, I'm going to go to them, and I'm going to tell them that you've sent me, and they're going to say, come on. Do you, do you see the shift? Do you see the transition? And, and, and listen, listen, God... God, before God will use anyone, they've got to go through that transition. They've got to go through that transformation. I can think of times in my life when I was out of Bible college and thinking to myself, man, I mean, God, God, God has called me to do this. Can't everybody see it? And I had to go through a process I think every man has to go through. And once you come to the end of yourself and you think to yourself, man, who would, who would even want to? sit under my leadership who would even want to preach who would want to listen to someone like me preach but that's where Moses is God had called Moses to this task before the burning bush but Moses had to endure a process of humbling before he was truly ready to lead God's people here's what Moses had to learn learn two lessons number one he had to learn that God uses what the world abhors God uses what the world abhors you say what do you mean by this do you remember, some of you have been part of the Sunday morning series we've preached in the life of Joseph. Do you remember when Joseph brought his family into Egypt? And he sat, his, he sat his brothers down and he said, listen, I just want to warn you, the Egyptians view shepherds as an abomination. Do you remember that? What did Moses do for 40 years in Midian? <laughs> he was a shepherd. So he went, he went from the palace in Egypt, he, he went from, 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 the, from the highest position in Egypt to doing the thing that the Egyptians most abhorred, what they thought was abominable, to being a shepherd. This was the, that was the world that Moses grew up in. As he sat in the Egyptian palace and rooms of higher education, probably never dreamed he would spend one day, much less 40 years as a shepherd, but that's what God required before he could lead his people. Now they say, they say that sheep are, are dumb and they're stubborn, which maybe is why God compares me to them. Because I can be really dumb and I can be really stubborn. Maybe, maybe God said, you, you spend 40 years with these animals and you'll be ready to spend the next 40 years with my people. Because <laughs> that's how it would go. See, see, we have to come to the understanding, listen, where we understand in our humility that God uses what the world abhors. Listen, the world look at a church like this. I was thinking just a moment ago as the choir was singing, you know, most churches don't have choirs anymore. And that's fine. I mean, that's, they can do whatever they want to do. I still, I still love a choir. And I thought to myself, you know, if somebody came in, somebody came into a church like this that hadn't been in one like this for a while, they'd, 
A choir? What? What is that? I haven't been in a church in 20 years that had a choir. I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that makes us better than anybody else. I'm just simply saying the world sort of has moved on from that. The world sort of abhors that. We, 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 still, we still go out as the Lord gives us opportunities, the weather cooperates. We still go out and we knock on doors. The world perhaps would look at a group of people doing that and say, come on, that doesn't work anymore. That's silly. We still run buses. The world would probably look at that and say, you know, isn't there a better use of your money and your finances? I'm just, I'm just simply saying, listen, God, God uses what the world abhors. What the world feel, thinks is, is silly, what the world thinks is, is, is out of date, what the world thinks is no. And, and, and by the way, I, I want to be as relevant as we possibly can. I, I try to make sure that every message that I'm preaching has some, you know, has some application that folks can take along life's way. But, but, but listen, the, the, goal, the goal is not relevance as it relates to the world. The goal is pleasing the Lord. The, the goal is doing what God would have us to do. Notice, God uses what the world abhors, but notice, secondly, I think Moses had to learn this lesson, and that is this, that God is never late. God is never late. I have to think that Moses thought, surely by now, the calling to deliver God's people had expired. You know, everything just about nowadays has an expiration date on it. We have, we have some arguments in our home about those things, because I think that's just, a, that's just a, a, a big business type of thing to get us to throw it out and buy something new. That's, what, that's how I am. I, I was sort of raised, you know, to you know, be a little bit of a penny pincher. And so, uh, you know, my kids will say, oh, you know, the milk is, we need new milk. And I'm sitting here saying, there's a half a gallon in there. And they'll say, but dad, it's, it's three days old. It'll be fine. It'll be all right. You'll be okay. Seriously. Some of you look at me like, you're crazy. I, I drank, I've drank the stuff. I'm, I'm still here to tell about it, all right? But everything has an expiration date on it nowadays. Can't use that anymore. Now again, I, I, don't, I, don't want, you know, I don't want to lead you astray here. And if you're, if you're locked into those expiration dates, then have at it, man. Do your thing. I just think it's, a, I think it's sort of a, a sham, personally. But anyways, thank you for that amen. That's encouragement. <laughs> but you know, I, I wonder if Moses, Moses didn't think that this, that this call this call had an expiration date. God's not going to talk to me about that again. I mean, it was, that was 40 years ago. God, God knows where I'm at. If God, if God wants to come get me, he can find me. I wonder if maybe Moses thought, you know, that's in the rearview mirror. That was another life. That was another world. Surely by now, God's chosen someone younger, much younger than I am for this role. I mean, who am I, perhaps Moses is thinking, who am I at the age of 80 to lead this people? But listen, God is never late. His timing is always right. Moses had 40 years of training in Egypt. He had 40 years of training with sheep in Midian. And now he was going to spend the next 40 years of his life doing what God was preparing him to do all of his life. You may look at yourself and may think, I'm too old to do a work for God and be used by him. But you might just be the person that God is looking for. God proves by using an old, humble shepherd to do his work God uses men who are not enough to accomplish his calling. And then lastly and finally tonight, God uses men not only available and humble, but God uses men who are feeble. You look in Exodus chapter 4, verse number 10. 
So between Exodus chapter 3 and when God comes, this all of this is still the burning bush. And Moses, I have to be honest with you, Moses puts up a fight. Moses does not want to do what God has called him to do. Look at verse number 10 of Exodus 4. And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. You know what he's saying right there? He's saying exactly what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12. He's saying, Lord, I have a thorn in the flesh. I can't do this. I'm I'm slow, I'm not eloquent, I'm slow of speech, and I'm a slow tongue. Now, isn't isn't that interesting? Because because Stephen tells us in his message that Moses was mighty in word those first 40 years in Egypt. I don't know what all happened. I don't know what all took place. But Moses is by his own admission saying, I am not any longer mighty in word. Something took place there. Now Moses is saying, I, I, I'm not eloquent. I cannot speak. I, I cannot get the words out. Bible commentators believe that he, he had a hard time finding the right words to say. And then once he could figure out the right words, he would struggle to get those words out. Knowing this calling would require him to speak, he feared his weakness in this area would be a detriment. And here's what God taught him. God taught him two powerful lessons concerning his feebleness. And I want you to see them. We'll be done. And, and by the way, it's almost as if God is saying the exact same thing he told Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. Here's what he told him. God said this. God says, I, God says, I make no mistakes. I make no mistakes. Would you look in verse number 11? And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Boy, what a powerful statement. God reminds Moses in this statement. He says, if you're feeble, then I'm responsible for that. And I did that. And I make no mistakes. I did it on purpose. I did it for a reason. And by the way, the reason's not always bad. You remember the disciples came to the Lord and they said, Lord, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? You remember that? Jesus said, neither one of them sinned. It wasn't that they hadn't sinned. It was that they, 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 it wasn't the sin that led to the problem. The problem was there so that God could be glorified. And it just might be that you have a problem, that I have a problem, that we have a problem. And, it's, and, it, and it has nothing to do with the fact that we've done something wrong or whatever, but it just might be that God is planning on using this problem to allow his strength to rise to the top. That's exactly what's happening in Moses' life. God had made Moses. And if that's true, then God made him to be not eloquent, to be slow of speech and of a slow tongue. God had allowed this thorn in his flesh to teach him that this would require Moses to rely on him in this weakness so that God could make him strong. What might have seemed like a mistake, what might have seemed like an accident or an error, was actually part of God's brilliant plan to keep Moses in a position of dependence upon the Lord so that the grace of God and the strength of God would be made perfect in Moses' weakness. So as you look at your life, you say, I'm so feeble, I can't be used Remember this, who made you that way? God did that. Why did he do that? Not only does God make no mistakes, but we discover in this text, the second thought, and that is this. Listen, if you're feeble, God has called you 
and chosen you, remember this, God will provide. God will provide. Would you look in verse number 12? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth and teach thee what thou shalt say. Moses was assured by the Lord that God would be with his mouth. In other words, the area in which perhaps he felt the most feeble. God said, don't think about it for a second. I'm going to be with that mouth. I don't, know what, I don't know what area of feebleness that you're struggling with that's keeping you from doing maybe what God has called you to do, what God wants you to do. But, but hear me tonight, hear me tonight. God, if God made you that way, and God's calling you, God is saying, hey, I'll be with you in that. I'll be with you in that. And I'll teach you what you ought to say. Later, God promises that Moses' brother Aaron would stand beside him and that God had equipped Aaron to be able to speak well. You know, you know, what, I, you know what I've tried to do? I've tried to do in my, in my feebleness as a pastor is I've tried to surround myself with people that are strong in areas where I'm weak. I, 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 uh, I, I know who I am. I know some of the struggles that I have. Some, some leaders, they get intimidated by that sort of thing. But I think that that's actually probably the gift that God gives us. That people come alongside of us and they're strong and areas where we're weak. God, God said, Moses said, you remember that brother you've got? Probably don't know him all that well because the two of you really didn't grow up together. But I've created him. You know, that, you know that feebleness I've given you? I didn't give that feebleness to him. He's got other areas. He's got other er- issues and you'll help him in those areas. But he, I've designed him to help you in this area. By the way, some of you, some of you, you might want to, you say, well, who is that in my life? You might want to look to the person sitting next to you because chances are, husbands, that your wife probably is strong in areas where you're weak. And chances are, wives, your husband is probably strong in areas where you're weak. And isn't that an amazing thing that God brings two people together and God uses us, us to strengthen one another and be a help to one another? And then, and then you look around a little bit further and look across the aisle and look at brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so or teacher so-and-so or pastor so-and-so and, and understand, hey, listen, chances are that man, that woman, that family, they're strong in areas where we're weak. And what a blessing that is the local church can be to strengthen us and to help us. God would provide Moses with all that he would need to do the job that God had called him to do. And listen, God will do the same for you And God will do the same for me. God will provide for you, for me, what we will need in the area of our weakness to do what he has called us to do. That's the whole point. The whole point is we come to a realization, I'm not enough. So that I look to him and discover in him I find more than enough.